Well, I uh, sent you a text around, and we were going to get into some things on the, uh, the curse. We only really looked at the curse of uh, the serpent, but I had forgotten that the children were in the service this week, and I just wanted to find something that was a little bit better, that uh, interests them a little bit more. So we changed it around a little bit. We're still somewhat in the same area, but we're going to uh, do this one. We're going to call it Let's Make a Deal. And we're going to be over in a couple of uh, areas of Scripture. Mostly all you need to focus in on is in uh, 1 Kings chapter 14. We're going to be over at 1 Kings chapter 14. Particular story in there. We haven't covered it real thoroughly in a, in a long time. But uh, it will help us to understand what it is that God is, is showing us on, on this aspect of things. But the, the children were not in here when we're taking a look at the serpent and some of the uh, aspects of what he had done. We did ask you this question though last week. How many serp- serpents, how many serpent events have you had in your life? How many serpents have come into your life? How many times have people spoken things into you? We said that the role of the serpent here had three aspects to it. One, it was the serpent is not mindful of the things of the kingdom. And we gave you more than just the serpent in the garden as examples. Uh, Peter was one in verse 33 of Mark chapter 8, he said, But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When we become serpent-minded, when people in our life are serpent-minded, they are not mindful of the things of God. They are mindful of the things of men. That is one thing to do. Second thing is they speak things or they have the will of men and or darkness. They're going to speak the things or the will of men and of darkness. They're not going to be speaking the things of God. They're going to be speaking the things of darkness, just like the serpent did. And they will make proclamations against God and His Word. We saw Sennacherib and the Rabshakeh. They made declarations against God. They made declarations against His city. They made declarations against His people. They said things about God. God cannot deliver you. God is not able to deliver you. None of the other gods were. This one won't either. Don't, don't let your God deceive you. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. These are things that a serpent will do. They are not mindful of the things of the kingdom. They will speak the things of men and or darkness. And they will make proclamations against God and His Word. You've had people come into your life. You will not be healed. You don't have faith for that. God doesn't do those things anymore. Well, I just want to speak truth so that you are not disappointed. Things like this that they'll say. I remind you that in the spiritual area of spiritual warfare, when we were going this, the word pros is used because the folks that come against you, pros is used for against. There's a lot more words you can use in the Greek to mean against, but he chose this one because it's people that are close to you that come against you. They will very often use those. It's not, it's not always outright enemies. So we asked you the question, have you ever been a serpent or are you one now? Don't be speaking those things. Don't be mindful of the wrong things. Don't speak things from this mindset. Things that hurt. Things that set back those people that are around us. Don't make proclamations against, against the will, the word, or the promises of God. Don't be saying those things. You may not have faith for it. Just hush your mouth. You don't need to be doing that. Now over the last two weeks we looked at the possible conspiracy that was going on in the garden. We saw that the, nowhere in the Bible does it say that the devil was the serpent. 
or that the devil entered into the serpent. We see the serpent was acting as a serpent and he was a lot different back then than he is now. There was a curse that was put upon the serpent. We did look over that. The reason that the curse was put upon the serpent, I believe, is because there was a conspiracy made and because the devil had promised him, if we do this thing, I will get the authority and I can give that authority to whoever I wish. And we saw in the temptations of Jesus that the devil said the exact same thing to Jesus. All authority has been given to me and I can give it to whomever I wish. And I believe he made that exact same promise to the serpent. And the serpent came in and, uh, and uh, spoke these words. It, I, I can't prove this from the word. My thought is that he said this to her somewhere away from the tree. He said this to her so that she could be thinking about it just like he does with us. He speaks the temptation to us. We think about it. We mull over it. She was passing by the tree. She saw the tree. And she took from the tree. She saw that it was good, that it was pleasant. She took from the tree and gave to her husband with her. I don't think Adam was with her when the serpent was talking to her. I can't prove that, but I don't think he was. But Adam was with Eve when she reached for the tree. We looked over aspects of things here. The reason he attacked the woman is not because she was the weak link. It is because if you can get the woman, she will persuade the man. And we looked at some of the things that were done in that word helper, that she was actually supposed to be more of a deliverer, one that would help him stay away from that temptation and said she delivered him to it. Women, you have the ability to be a deliverer and you will either deliver people into temptation or you will deliver them from it. Make sure that you use your powers for good because these are things that you can do. You know that as you can come on in and you're free to, freer to speak your mind than your male counterparts are. And you can speak things and you can turn the room and everybody's on edge or you can turn the room and everybody is relaxed. Make sure that you use your powers the way God intended for them and don't let them become corrupted. Well, let's take a look here. We're going to, we're going to take a look at a uh, particular story and this is the time when someone else was the one who led in the temptation we looked at a couple of examples eve led adam in the temptation we looked at a few other examples uh where um uh, sarah led abraham in the temptation we saw that lot's wife was trying to cover coerce him to curse god and die but here it's the man who was doing that and you can find other examples where it was the man where it was the woman uh, this particular one, this is, the, this is the man that did it. We don't always take a look at this particular story, but I want to here today. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jehoram, became sick. Now, that word Abijah, I had the definition written down, and I don't want to say it to you because I'm, I'm not going to forget it and say it's not quite right, but you look in your margins, it'll probably be right there. This is a word that has Jehovah this is a name that has Jehovah in it. When Jeroboam named his son, he named him at a time when he was walking strong with the Lord, not walking after idols. And he named his son after his God, after Jehovah, after the Lord. He put that name right in there. And we have Abijah. He is the son of Jeroboam. He became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, 
Please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah, different from Abijah, the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over this people. Also take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out if Abijah was named anywhere close to Ahijah, because Ahijah had been such a positive influence in the life of Jeroboam. Because in the beginning, he was very positive. He's the one who told Jeroboam, God is going to give you ten tribes. He told him that. And I don't believe, I don't know if the, uh, I don't believe that his child was born then. I don't even think he was married at the time that that word came to him. I believe he got married after this. And I'll show you a few things from scriptures that make me, make me think that. But here we have that he says to his wife, now see, before we had Sarah, she said to Abraham and she gave him the plan. And Eve gave Adam the plan. Well, here now Jeroboam is giving his wife the plan. This is what I want you to do. I want you to rise up, disguise yourself that you won't be recognized as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Ahijah is there. Now, right now, his wife, what position is his wife? Not hard. It's not a trick question. It's pretty easy to figure out. If he is the king, she is the queen. There we go. You got that. She is the queen. All right. So you got the queen of the kingdom. When the queen of the kingdom goes somewhere, what goes with her? She got an entourage, don't she? She got stuff going with her. She's got soldiers going with her. She's got uh, servants who are going to go with her and take care of all the things that she might need. When she goes somewhere, there's a fanfare. There's a lot of things that go along with it. It's the same way today, the same way back then. You didn't just go as a queen. You didn't just take off and go somewhere. There's a reason for that. You're in a prestigious position. And generally you need protection. His or her husband encourages her to make this trip disguised by herself. Can you see there could be a problem there? If anyone recognizes that she is the wife of Jeroboam and they mean any harm to the kingdom, they will take her. And she won't be able to defend herself. Now, from the word of God, all we know is that she is the wife of Jeroboam. That's it. We don't have any... uh, any other things, but I decided to do some researches on this and find out some things about it. What I found out is that she has a name. And she is named in history. If you go into the Septuagint of the, uh, of the Bible, that's the Greek translation, they actually write this in there that she was an Egyptian princess and her name was Ano. A-N-O. She was an Egyptian princess. It says that Jeroboam was given a no, the eldest sister, and her sister's name has a much longer one, Thakimina. It was the eldest sister of her, 
for his wife. And that she was great among the daughters of the king. That's actually the Septuagint version of 1 Kings 12.24. We don't have that in ours because we go from the Hebrew manuscript. But this is what it says there. So her name was Ano. She is an Egyptian princess. I want to read another verse of scripture here for you. This comes, you can just write this down. It's not going to come up on the screen. 1 Kings 11 and verse 40. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam because Jeroboam was given the prophecy by Ahijah that you will have ten and it seemed like it changed his attitude a little bit or Solomon recognized that the anointing was upon him much like was Saul when the anointing left Saul and went upon David. Recognize some things here. So Solomon saw that and he sought to kill Jeroboam. Same thing that Saul tried to do to David. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now look at this. Jeroboam flees to Egypt. He goes to the king of Egypt. The king, as far as I can tell, the name is just a little bit different in the two texts, but it looks like it's the same thing. The king is married to the sister of the one he gave to Jeroboam. So Jeroboam's wife seems like it, the names are just a little bit different in the text, but it seems like they're the, the same position and they're, they're pretty close. It seems like that his wife is the sister to the queen of Egypt. Or at least she's in that family. Or where do you think he would have picked up someone of such a high rank out of Egypt? Well, I think it's pretty easy to put it together. When he fled to Egypt and he goes to the, to the king, he comes to the king, what are you doing here? And somehow it comes out that this kingdom is coming to Jeroboam. And the king of Egypt probably wants to make good. Well, if you're going to be king, let's make a treaty here. How about you marry into my family? Because that's how they did treaties. You marry into my family. And so he marries Ano. So that now Jeroboam Jeroboam has a treaty with Egypt. And then he comes back. More than likely, this child was born in Egypt. And Jeroboam brings him back. This child is born at a time when Jeroboam is still following God. He has not turned into the false religion just yet. So that's why his name bears the name of Jehovah. Bears the name of the Lord. Reminds him of, of times in the past. Verse 4, And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. Now, either they didn't know that, or they thought maybe we were disguised too, just to make sure. But she's completely in on this. He says, I want you to go disguise. She went disguised. You can't go with your entourage. That'll, that'll give you away. So she goes without the entourage. Now she either does this, maybe she does it out of fear of Jeroboam, maybe she does it out of fear for losing her son. There is some things in the historical accounts that seem to indicate there may have been some abuse from Jeroboam to his wife. There are some things in the historical account that tell about that. I, I have a hard time ex- just accepting that outright. And the reason for it is this, not that I don't think Jeroboam was above that, there's a couple of things, two things in particular that I think argue against it. First off, 
How many wives did Solomon have? 700 wives, 300 concubines. How many wives did David have? He had multiple ones too, didn't he? He sure did. Uh, didn't God say that the, they will multiply wives for themselves? The people, the examples he has, multiply wives. Rehoboam had more than one wife. When you look at this passage that we just read, how many wives does Jeroboam have? He has one. He has one wife. Jeroboam's wife. He has one. How is it that a, a man who apparently can lead the entire nation into apostasy honors his wife by only having one? He is, in, in that society, he is perfectly, it is perfectly accepted for him to have more than one wife. He can have as many as he wants. He has one. In fact, you're going to be hard-pressed to find too many kings that only have one wife. Jeroboam seems to be one of them. Here's the other thing. If she is, if this marriage is for a treaty, and it really seems like it would be, that's why you would have someone of, of such high uh, rank, and she is related to to the a wife of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who's got a very powerful army. And I'm sure every once in a while she visits her family or the family visits her. Somehow we, we're in a treaty. Things are going on here with this. If you are Jeroboam, if you were inclined to do that to your wife, but you know that she has the entire army of Pharaoh behind her. Do you think you would think twice before doing that? I kind of think he would think twice before doing that. So those two things hinder me from just accepting that right that the, I think it's just one, one uh, historical account we have that suggested that he may have been abusive. And uh, I'm not saying that he can't or that people don't, and I'm not trying to do anything like that. I'm not trying to defend Jeroboam. Jeroboam's plenty of things you can get on his case for. But uh, I just don't, I'm not sure that this is one of them. So I don't think that his wife did this out of fear. I think she did it because she is, she loves her son and she would do anything for that son. Wouldn't you as a mom? Would you take on a dangerous trip to save your son? I think she would. I think that she would do it out of that. So Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. I'll tell you what, there's so many things inside this. Before we get to the let's make a deal part of it that we're here. But so many things in this. First off, who was sent to who? Who was sent to who? We just read the story. Who was sent to who? She was sent to him. Does Ahijah go anywhere? He's still at home. Look at his words. 
for I have been sent to you with bad news. All right, now who sent him? God. Right? But he didn't go anywhere. This is a powerful statement. I hope you can get this. God can send you to people and you never go anywhere. How many times did Jesus heal people that he never pursued? And yet, by his own words, he only did what he saw the Father do. So he already saw it, but he didn't go to them. They came to him. Don't miss this in your life. You don't just have to go to people. God will send people in your life, in your path, right in front of you. Don't miss them. And you are just as much sent to them as Ahijah is sent to her. Just because you didn't make the trip didn't mean God didn't send you. You ought to get ready for that. God, I am ready for you to send me anywhere, even if I don't leave the house. You may just go to the grocery store just doing your own thing. And God may send you to people. Just keep in mind, He can do that. He is very convinced. God has sent me to you. It just so happened to be that you came and got the message. But she came in. She was disguised. They're trying to pull a fast one on Ahijah. Now, this just doesn't make any sense. This, to me, this doesn't make any sense at all. How? You're trying to, to get an answer from God, right? You want an answer from God. I want you to answer me on this particular thing. What's going to happen to my son? So we're going to send someone to Ahijah. We're going to disguise and pretend to be somebody else. Well, maybe you could fool Ahijah. But if you want an answer from God, how are you going to fool God? And if you could fool God, how are you going to trust the answer? If God is so easily fooled, how are you going to trust the answer that he gives? I don't understand how you can, how you can do that. If you think you can pull the wool over God's eyes, why are you going to listen to what he says? And if you get a message for another woman, how do you know that that can apply to her son? Sometimes we just don't think this thing through. Just like the serpent in the garden, I don't think he thought it through. Just like Abraham and Sarah, I don't think they thought it through. A lot of people who made these kind of deal, we looked at that last time. But somehow, they thought they could do something here. They thought they could make a deal. Now, we have a table back there behind, behind Todd. I'm going to need that table. And we're going to do something here for the kids. How many of you, kids might not remember this, but how many of you remember the game show, Let's Make a Deal? I believe when we used to watch it as kids, it was uh, anywhere up here on the stages. It's fine. Uh, Monty Hall was the guy who did Is that still on the, on the TV? Do they still do that game show? Who runs it now? Wayne Brady runs it now? All right, Wayne. I was thinking that somehow it was probably still on because they're still doing Prices Right. I don't know. Is that guy the same guy doing that one too? Yeah. It's like he's ancient. I mean, how old can you be? And still be able to... What's that? 
Oh, is Drew Carey now? We got somebody new on there? All right. Well, these game shows just see, seem to keep on going on. So we're going to bring this game show in on here. What's, what let's make a deal is one of the things that they would do is that you would come on up, you know, the Monty Hall. I only saw it with Monty, so I had to talk about it with, with Monty. And Monty Hall, he would go out and he'd find somebody and they're all dressed up in costumes and he would give them something. They would have the ability to win something right there. And then if they won something, they would uh, come on up to the, to the front and they could make a deal and trade what they had won for something behind. Everybody remember what it was? Curtain number one, curtain number two, curtain number three. And if it wasn't curtain number one, curtain number two, or curtain number three, it was door number one, door number two, or door number three. And I think, if I remember correctly, there was also box number one, or is it just that the box came out afterwards, and then if you won the trade, what you won for what's under, ever in the box. But you're always, he's always trying to trade you up, get you to take this one over here. So, we're going to, uh, we're going to have our, our kids do, let's, Make a deal. Does it matter who we start with? All right. Max, come on up here. Max, we got three bags over here for you. I've got bag number one. I got bag number two. And I got bag number three. Now, we can't see what's inside these bags right now because they're, you know, they're paper bags. And, um, I want you to pick a bag and see if you want a, a decent price. Go ahead and pick a bag. All right, now before you open that bag, are you sure you want that bag? Are you sure you don't want this bag? You sure? There's also this bag over here. No? You're going to stay, you're going to stay with that bag right there? Are you absolutely positive? I'll give you one more chance to change your mind and not pick that bag. All right. Open it up and see what you got. Let's see what he has. We got what? Uh, oh, a ring pop. All right, boy, if that was Lumi, she'd be in heaven right now. You can come on up here. All right, go ahead and sit. We got to get, we got to get some more bags though. So. Everybody's going to get a turn. We're going to give everybody a chance to, to do this. Here we go. We got three, three bags. All right, come on. All right, we got the same thing here for you. We got three bags. Which one do you think? Oh, no, you just got to pick the bag. You just got to pick the bag. Go down. All right. Are you sure you want that one? No. No. Oh, I talked him out of it. All right. You going to take that one? All right. Open it up. Let's see what's inside. Anything good? Oh, it's a chocolate bar. That's decent. All right, there you go. We got something, something good there. This one's empty. All right, now we got three new bags up here. Who wants to be next? Which? Come on. Oh, Chenzo's coming. All right, hold on. Chenzo's coming up. We'll get in the back row, and then we'll get you next. Come on, Chen. All right. Three bags. What are we thinking? A bag number one, bag number two, bag number three. That's the one you want? All right, open it up. Let's see what's inside. What do we got? An onion. 
Oh, we got an onion. I bet you're glad you didn't come up now, huh? <laughs> All right, let's get three more. Come on. I said you, you can come on up next. Oh, Lumi's next? Oh, okay. All right. You are next. I thought that was the... Which one do you think? Are you sure? Yeah, absolutely positive that's the one that you want. You don't want to change your mind? You're, okay, go ahead. What you got? What is it called? A dunkaroo. A dunkaroo. Okay, you, you get stuff in there, you dunk them in. All right, people who like to dunk things, I am not a dunker. I am not. I have grandkids that are. Oh, is it Lumi's turn? All right, Lumi, which one are we going for? One, two, or three? All right, you do three? You want to open up? Let's see what you got. What did we get? You got ranch dressing. Except you got to make it up. The other granddaughter would have liked that one. <laughs> but she seems pretty excited. All right, who's next? Who's coming next? You? I still got me over here, too. All right. One, two, or three? One, two, or three? Are you sure? Yes. Absolutely positive? Yes. Really? You want to go with two? Yes. All right, go ahead. They're grapes. Grapes. Oh. Guess you should have listened to me. Mia, you're next. Come on, Mia. One, two, or three. Oh, really? You really want to do that one? Yes. All right. Go ahead. Ah, see? I told you. Did we get everybody? Did we get everybody? <laughs> All right. You guys who got the gag gifts, you can go in the back there and get a real one. Now, as you're doing this, you're making, doing a, doing a deal. You came on up. And your idea was to, to make a deal and to, and to pick one. If we took the game out further, you'll be able to take the thing that you want and try and change it in for something else. Did you notice how I was, on some of the times I was trying to talk you out of it? Now sometimes I was successful, sometimes not so much. But, uh, let me clue you in on something. I had no idea what was in any of the bags. I had no idea. A lot of times the devil tries to talk us out of things, but he has absolutely no idea what's going on. He's just trying to talk you out of it. He doesn't know what the blessings of God are in store for you. He's just trying to talk you out of going in a direction that God has. He's trying to get you to make a deal. What he is doing right here is he is trying with Jeroboam. Jeroboam, let's make a deal here. Your son is sick. Here's a way for you to get out of this. Go to the prophet. Disguise yourself. Deceive him. And make him think you're someone else so that he will pronounce something good on your son. He may even just pronounce healing upon your son. And that way, you can get a fast one on God, and you can get your, your son healed.
Hmm. Well, he did it. He accepted it. Now, see, we are, we are not too far off from this because there's a lot of times that the enemy comes and he's trying to get us to make a deal. And he's trying to get us to let go of something that we do have that is good and go after something that is not so good. Don't let him do it. But here, Ahijah, he heard from God before she ever got there. Heard from God. The disguise didn't make any difference at all. And so she um, she approaches the door. Look, let's take a look at the word that he, he has here again for her. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes, but you have done more evil than all who were before me or before you. This probably means the judges as well as the kings. There were not that many kings before Jeroboam, but there were a few judges. And uh, some of them brought in some evil that had gone on. But Solomon certainly was a king who brought in some evil. These were things that, that were not good. But this is the word that he has. He already got this word. He has this message. He's delivering it. You see, God had taken him and exalted him. Jeroboam was down low. God had taken him and exalted him. He gave him ten tribes of the nation. And he was willing to take him even further. But Jeroboam was faced with the deal. Jeroboam, you've got ten nations. You've got the blessing of God. But let me tell you something. You hang on to that. And the people of Israel, they're going to kill you. And they're going to go back to David. So this is what you need to do. You need to let go of what God has given you. And you need to come on over here. Make up your own religion. Keep people from going. Going back home. Keep people from going back to Jerusalem. This is what you need to do. If you will do this, then you'll be able to reign forever. You'll be able to continue on. You won't lose being king. And so he decided, he weighed this out. And he decided, well, you know what? Uh, I have this from God. I have this from God right here. This is what I have in my hand. I don't know that I like it. See, I thought this was something good, but I think what it's turned out to be is an onion. I think it's turned out to be a lemon. And uh, I think I'll, I think I'll trade this in. Now, what would happen if you were on the, on the, uh, let's make a deal, and you got a lemon, but you didn't know that if you cut that lemon open, inside was a diamond ring, and you would have traded it in for a candy bar. But you see, God has given us things, and the devil is coming over, and he's trying to get us to trade them in. He comes over. Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. I got something for you. Give up what God has told you to do. Give up what God has said in His Word. Give up what God has promised you. Take this thing that I have for you over here. So verse 9, But you have done more evil than all who are before you, for you have gone and made for yourselves other, <clears throat> other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jer- Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whomever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. 
We spent time a couple of years ago, we went through this, but if you will spend time on your own, you will find out that each of the dynasties in the northern kingdom, of which there were three, that God called and ordained, that when they fell off, when they didn't pursue God anymore and went after idols, went after a wrong way, that when God wiped out their dynasty, dogs and birds were involved. Each time, the dogs and the birds were involved. Now, the people that usurped the throne, there were no dogs and birds. They just slaughtered them. They just came in and killed them. But here we got dogs and birds. Because they were honored by God, and they turned their back on God. Now, you may have read this verse. You may remember this verse. I'll bet that if all the things that people remember about this story... This is one of the most, the, one of the most memorable things that's in this story. And you may have even asked yourself, why would God do this? I asked that question. God, why would you do this? Arise therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Now I asked asked God about this. Why would you do this to a mom? Why would you do this to a How could you put this on a mom? That your son's life is now in your hands. You came over here and you tried to put it into Ahijah's hands. By deception, but now it's in your hands. And as soon as you enter the city, he dies. Which means she can't get close enough to him to ever see him again. She knows I will never see him again. No matter how long I take to get home, as soon as I enter the city, he dies. How many think that sounds just kind of mean on God's side? Anybody ever read this story and just thought, that's kind of mean, and you just kind of went on? Just kind of read the rest and says, well, you know, God's going to do whatever God's going to do. I don't always buy into that. I want to know. I want to know, why did you do that? Why did you come up with this, this kind of a way to do this? Well, as I, as I think through this thing, and I always like to put myself into the, I put myself into, into his wife's position. His wife has gone out from the palace. The mansion that they have. And she's dressed as a commoner. And she's walking around the city. And while she's walking around the city, she's taking note. People don't know who I am. It's working. It's working. People don't know who I am. And as she's walking through the city, she has to walk through the city because the palace is not right by the gate. It's for protection. You put it Put it back away. She comes to a point of decision. And that's when she leaves the city. As long as she's in the city, she has some protection. But when she embarks to go outside the city, she has made a decision. I'm carrying this thing through. I am going to do what we planned to do. While she's walking around in the city, she can change her mind and she can head back. She can go back to Jeroboam. I cannot deceive the man of God. I cannot try and pull the wool over God's eyes. But when she walks outside of that city 
she has made a decision. I am going to do this. But she makes her way over to Shiloh. She makes her way over to the prophet. Before she even gets in, God's already made his decision. He's already told Ahijah what to say. Because for me, her point of decision is when she left the city. So God is saying to her, that's when you made your decision to carry through this, this whole thing. That's when it will be carried out. When you go back into the city. You wandered around the city. She may have even wandered around for a little while trying to decide, do I really want to do this? Do I want to make this trip? What's going to happen? I am a princess of Egypt. I am a queen in Israel. What is going to happen to me when I hit the roads? Because there's no policeman. There's no protection for her out there. But she made that decision. Now look at this here at the end. And all Israel, verse 13, all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. What is it that is good inside of this one young man who we're going to let die? Now, this can open up all kinds of questions. So what God is saying is this. Look, he's the only one that has some good in him, so we're going to let him die. <clears throat> Doesn't that seem kind of odd to you? Wouldn't you want the bad ones to go? But God says, no, he's, uh, he's got a little bit of good in him. We're going to let him live or let him die peacefully. He's just going to kind of come to the grave. Uh, it's not going to be that way for the rest of them. They're going to die some violent deaths. None of them come into the grave in peace. But him, I see some good in him. Now, I don't know about you. Again, we're in this question series. If you don't ask questions, you don't get answers. So I asked the question, what is the good that Abijah does? What is the good that God sees in him? Wouldn't you like to know that? How many people would like to know what is the good that God saw in this young man? I want, to, I want to know this. So I asked the question. I had to do some research. I had to go outside the Bible and find some other historical writings. But there are some historical writings that tell us that this particular son of Jeroboam is responsible for taking down the sentinels that Jeroboam had placed on the roads that lead to Jerusalem. Because his father had put sentinels on these roads to make sure that his people did not leave the northern tribes and go down to Jerusalem for the feasts, for the sacrifices. He put guards on those roads so that anybody in his land who wanted to serve Jehovah and go down and offer sacrifice and go down and honor the feasts would be meant by the sentinels and they would stop them from going. So he decided as the son of Jeroboam. I'm going to take care of this. And so he dismissed those sentinels. He put himself on the line. He defied his father and he removed those sentinels. So if you were in the northern tribes and you wanted to go down, you could. God saw that. And he said, I see some good in this man. Now this, 
This young man, he was born when Jeroboam was still following God. When Jeroboam got off, apparently he didn't go off quite as far as his father did. And God said, I see some good in this young man. And I don't want him coming to the fate that will come to all the others. So I am going to not step in and hinder this disease. It's going to go on because this is actually going to to help him. And so he dies. And so she says, when he comes, when he comes, when you come to the city, he will die. Now, if you're the mom, you're walking around. You just had this word. This prophet just told you, calamity is coming to your house. Bad stuff is coming to your house. People are going to be killed. People are going to be slaughtered. Death is coming into your house. If, he, if she believed the word of the prophet, believed that that word came from God, then she has a decision to make. Do I want my son to be around for all this? And if she says, no, I don't, then I'm going to the city and I'm going to cross the threshold because right now that is the kindest thing that I can do for my son is to let him go home, to let him go on. That's the kindest thing I can do. And so she didn't go back to her home country of Egypt. She came into the city so that she could cross the threshold knowing that as soon as she, as soon as she's walking through there, she's, this is it. Now he died. And then she came to the home and she already knew what had gone on. Jeroboam didn't know any of these things. When he sees her, he says, oh, he died. I know. I was told this would happen. And then she probably gave him all the all the things that are going on. Verse 14, Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Even now, for the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. He will give Israel... Up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and made Israel sin. Now these are the words that are declared. We had a question that I didn't get to before. But one of the questions that someone asked was in the book of Genesis. It said that in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. But they didn't die. How is it that that was so? Why did God say you will surely die? But they didn't die. Well, because death in the Word of God is not a... Uh, how do I, I put it in your, in your outline for you somewhere. Death in the Bible is not a termination, but a separation. To us, death is a termination. We, are, we terminate life. But to, to the Bible, to God, it is a separation. Spiritual death is a separation between our spirit and God. That's spiritual death. Physical death is a separation from our spirit, from our physical body. That's physical death. Death in the Word of God is a separation. And so when he says you will surely die, there will be a separation. There was a separation between them and God. There was a separation from them and the promises that God had for them. There was a separation in that they no longer had the spiritual life that they had before. There was now a spiritual death that came upon them. 
And because of that spiritual death, they say we cannot let them live forever physically because we'll never be able to redeem them out of that. So we must get them out of the Garden of Eden because if they eat of the Tree of Life, they will live forever and then there will be no way to redeem them. And so he kicked them out so that they could not eat of the Tree of Life and live forever. Because God, to God, death is a separation. It is not a termination. Even people that are unsaved will not be terminated. They will just be separated from the presence of God and they will be in the uh, fires of hell. So he promised that a king will come up. He promised them destruction. He said it from this point. Right now, destruction is coming. As far as God is concerned, destruction has come. But it took a little while for the physical to actually get there. Verse 17, Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Terzah. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And they buried him, and all the Israel mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoke through his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now God didn't take Abijah because he wanted him in heaven. Didn't do, didn't do that. Didn't take Abijah because he wanted him in heaven. That wasn't it. God even said, the only reason I'm doing it is because I don't want him down here on earth when this stuff is going on. So Jeroboam basically made a deal with the devil. And because of it, his sin brought death into the house. He was outside of God's protection. He was walking away from the righteousness that comes through faith. And the righteousness that the sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed to. Verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned. Indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was... 22 years, so he rested with his father. Then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. Now he reigned for 22 years. And so I asked the question, when does this prophecy come to Jeroboam? How many would like to know the answer to that? I couldn't get a definitive answer on this one, but it's somewhere towards the end. What happens after this is that there is war between, there had been continued war, but there was another war that came out in which Jeroboam came up against Judah. And while they were, while Judah was up there talking with Jeroboam, Jeroboam sent a delegation, of another group, around to ambush them. And so they came around behind. And when Judah saw that they were surrounded, they had people in the back and they had people in the front, they cried out to the Lord. The Word of God says they cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard them and the Lord fought for them and they were delivered in 500 thousand of the troops from the northern tribes Jeroboam's forces 500,000 that's half a million died he never recovered from that what also happened was he lost several cities one of which you will recognize that's the city of Bethel do you remember when he set up his two images you remember where he set them up at one in Dan and one in Bethel. And there was a prophet who was dispatched to Jeroboam and said to the one that was at Bethel, he was at Bethel making a sacrifice, and he said, Josiah, king of Judah, will come and he will tear down this altar. And that tells him right there, oh, what I was thinking was probably true that the tribes of the north are going to come back and they're going to take this area up here. I'm glad I made that deal. 
I'm glad I took that, that I did. But that's not what happened at all. It's because of his disobedience that they came and they took that city. And they had that city so that Josiah would come and do that. They didn't apparently tear it down. All the time that they had taken that city, they didn't tear down this altar until towards the end when Josiah had come to the throne. Because Josiah is not, not due for a little while yet. And so that altar is going to survive. It's going to stick around. But they had taken it here in this particular battle. After that battle, it was only a few short years, maybe two, in which he was, uh, he was around. And then he died. And his son came to the throne, and he only lasted two years until he was killed. He was murdered. And he died. That war I told you about is in Second Chronicles chapter 13. If you want to go back there and read it on your own. But there were several cities, including Bethel, that they lost. So Jeroboam's dynasty lasted for himself and two years afterwards for his son, and that was it. Most of the other dynasties lasted longer. In, um, well, we don't need to read that. I already, already took that off for you. Now, King Saul, if you remember, was separated from his anointing and it was given to David, but he still continued on as king. He still continued on in the position, but he didn't have the anointing. That anointing stopped. It ceased. It went over to David. The rain would come over to David later, but not then. Now, if you, um, God had joined, remember the word of God says, whatever God has joined, let not man put, uh, divide, let not man separate. Yep. God put that anointing on Saul. Man is not to take it off. God put that anointing on David. Man was not to take it off. God put that anointing on Jeroboam. Man was not to take it off, but God can. And God did. God put the throne on the house of Saul and God separated it. He didn't want David to separate it. He wanted, he was going to separate it and he did and he gave it to, to David. But he gave it to him. Now, here at the end. The enemy will put deals in front of you. He is the enemy of your faith. He will put deals in front of you. There will seem to be something to be gained. When you get this deal that's put in front of you, it would seem like if you take the deal, you will gain something. Something will benefit you. That's why you take the deal. Eve took the deal because she thought it would benefit her. She believed you will have the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, see right then they only had the knowledge of good. Which is better, having the knowledge of good or having the knowledge of good and evil. I think I'd rather just have the knowledge of good. But she decided, no, it can be better. And most people have always thought it could be better. A lot of those people we gave in the examples last week thought that. Ananias and Sapphira. It was good what they had. They thought it could be better. Let's lie. Let's sell this and lie about it. And then people will like us. They'll like us even more. Judas thought, all right, it's good right now, but I think we can make this even better. Let's betray the Savior. Somehow he thought that was going to make it better. Peter thought it was going to be made better. And he became a spokesperson for the enemy. So here, here's some of the things that the, the enemy will try and do. Kids will try and do it to you. 
Adults will try and do it to you. One other thing is, lie. Tell the lie. Speak the lie. If you tell this lie, it will get you out of trouble. Alright? Isn't that one of the reasons why we tell lies? If I tell the truth, I'll get in trouble. If the police officer pulls you over and he says, do you know why I stopped you? We don't say, well, I was speeding and I ran a red light. What did you see? We don't do that. What do we say? I don't know. I do know. I ran the red light. I was speeding. I know why you stopped me, but I'm not going to say it. Not going to say it. Because I think that if I lie, I'll get at it. I was speeding? I might, my speedometer must be broken. Because I know that was right there. It was going 50 miles an hour. I know it. I just looked at it and it was at 50 miles an hour. I clocked you at 75. Well, something must be broken. See, we lie, we can get out of trouble. And so we, we accept that deal. The devil presents us. Here's, here's what you did. If you tell the truth, this is what's going to happen. So, here's a lie. And we take the deal. And then what generally happens? We get in worse trouble. Because we took the deal. We tried to lie our way through it. How about this one? Cheat. And you'll get a better grade. I'm not doing so well in this class. I don't feel like I know the answers. I just look over there. If I cheat, you'll get a better grade. So that's why we do it. Because I, if I take the deal and I accept the thing, I will cheat. I'm thinking I'll get a better grade. So there's something for me to gain out of it. That's why we do it. Gossip. Oh, you got some gossip on some people? Go and tell some of that gossip. Your friends will like you more. Your friends will get us. Oh, did you... Oh, tell me what you heard. Tell me what you heard. And I'll love you forever. And so we gossip. In fact, we might even embellish the gossip a little bit. And then we find out that the word gets around, that it was told that I did it. And instead of people liking me for it, now they're mad at me. And I've severed some friendships that I had before. Hey, by this one, betray your friend, your boss, your coworker, your spouse to gain something better they're holding you back from. That boss is not letting me prosper in this job the way I ought to. My spouse would just get out of the way. If my coworkers would just do this, they're holding me back. And so we betray them. And after we get done betraying them, and it all comes out, we find out I didn't get a better deal on the other side. In fact, this deal is even worse. You disobey God or your parents to gain a new friend. A new friend comes over and says, Hey, do you want to go over here and do this? No, no, no. I'm not supposed to do that. My mom, my dad my, they said don't do this. My God has said don't do this. Yeah, but if you'll do this, I'll be your friend. If you do this, if you go the way that I want you to go, Don't, don't do it. Don't disobey God. How many examples do we have in the Word of God where the people who did not disobey God but stood up for the things of God gained more in the end? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not going to bow. They didn't give in. And they gained more in the end. Daniel, I'm not giving in 
and he went into the lion's den. He thought People thought he had a lot to lose, but he gained more coming out of it. Stay with the things of God. Don't take the deal the devil is trying to do. Don't make a deal with him. Why don't you just turn away from what God's Word has told you to do? It's keeping you from having fun. You're not having the kind of fun that you ought to have. You're not being able to do the things that you ought to be able to do. Just disobey God. That's not for today anyway. Hey, but this one. Worry about this. You're sitting there minding your own business. All of a sudden it comes out. Worry about this. Be anxious about this. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Worried, anxious. If you don't worry, you won't be prepared if it comes about. Oh, that's true. I better worry. I better be anxious. And we start worrying. We get anxious because this thing might happen. And if it happens, I got to be sure that I am ready just in case it does. But the Word of God says to shun those things, to stay away from those things. Cast all your worry. Cast all your anxiety. Cast all your fears on the Lord. Don't be doing it. You see, I'm, I made a deal. Well, I, if I pull this in, maybe I'll be able to, to soften the blow when it happens. And we accept that deal. But it didn't help us. It hurt us in the end. Don't accept that deal. You don't want that deal. How about you're on a job and you says, cut some corners on the job. Who's going to know? Who's going to know that you cut some corners on the job? You'll get paid just as much for less work. That'll be better for you. Just use a little inferior material. Just do something a little bit less. I'll tell you, when I had a job, just a regular job, you know, I was working in a pizza place. My mom and my dad, they, they taught me how to work. They taught me what to do some things. And so that's what I did when I went into a job. I just did what they taught me to do. And my first, uh, one of my first days there, the, um, the manager was, was there and I was closing. And I remember I was just, I didn't do anything special. I just did what I knew to do. And so they told me, you know, I'm a new guy, so I get to sweep him off the floors. Nobody likes to sweep him off the floors. So sweep him off the floors. So I got out the broom, and I swept, and I, I swept the way I normally did. And I got underneath the oven, and I swept underneath the oven, and I got underneath the cutting tables, and I swept underneath the cutting tables. I wasn't responsible for out in the restaurant. That's the girl's responsibility. We were the guys. Guys cook. Guys were cooks. Girls were waitresses. That's how it was. You may not like it. That's how it was. And so I was responsible for the kitchen. So I'm sweeping all this stuff up. I didn't know my manager was watching me. And then I got the, the mop bucket. And I started mopping. And I went underneath the oven. And I mopped under the oven. And finally, my boss had enough of it. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm sweeping and mopping like he asked me. I said, who told you to, to sweep and mop under the oven? Well, it's part of the floor. He says, nobody sweeps and mops under the, under the oven. Nobody ever does that. And he was so tickled that I did it, that he gave me a raise, retroactive to the first day that I started there. Because I did these things. Doing stuff like that, I got the attention of the area general manager. And when he took over the store... He immediately promoted me and elevated my pay. Before I left there, 
and I, I left to, to come back up to here because God was saying, all right, your time in Tulsa is done. Come on back. And I came on back up to here. Before I left, and I put my notice in, they had uh, higher plans for me. But I remember the, this, I can still remember the meeting. The area general manager, his name is Chris, Chris Buchanan. He came into the restaurant and he says, Steve, I need to talk with you. And so he sat me down. I can still tell you the exact same table he sat me down at. He told me this. He said, Steve, why do you want to leave? Is it the money? We will pay you more. Is it the money? I said, no, it's not the money. He says, look, if you will stay, if you will stay and be a manager at a restaurant for three years, I will guarantee you that in three years I will bring you up into the office. And if you got into the office at this particular chain restaurant, you got your own company car, you got a really healthy salary, I mean healthy salary, very healthy salary for that area especially. You got your own company car. You don't have to pay for that. You got a really good salary. And because you're in the office, in the restaurant business, you work nine to five. Monday through Friday. No no night times. No weekends. It was a phenomenal job opportunity. If you will stay, I will guarantee you that we will do this. Five years later, I'd come up here, did some things. When I left, I went back over there. Went back to Tulsa, kind of get repaired a little bit from, from ministry. And I went back in there. I knew if I take the job at Ken's Pizza, they will make me an offer and I probably won't refuse it. I knew that. And as soon as the boss, Chris Buchanan, he was still there. As soon as he heard that I was in town, he made sure he got, not only got a meeting with me, he gave me a tour of the facilities. He says, you ought to see all the new stuff we're doing now. This was back in 1980. This is how far advanced this company had gone in 1980. It was like the late 80s. He gave me a tour. He says, instead of having to have the number of the restaurant that you want the pizza from, we have one number. You call one number. We have people on staff in the main office who answer the call. No longer does the restaurant answer the call. No longer does the waitress have to hear the phone call, have to get the call, have to write all this stuff down, interrupt what she's doing. Nope. People, this is all they do, is they write down the orders. They send it on a computer screen to each restaurant. They map it out. It is closest to you. And they map it out. And they tell them, this is where we're going to have it made. If they were going to deliver it, then they would deliver it from there. All that was taking I was fascinated. This is 1980. There were restaurants in the 90s that were not that advanced. And they were already there with that. And they advanced. They did some more things. That company went on and did some phenomenal things. If I would have stayed with the company, I would have been taken care of for life. And he gave me that offer. And when he saw me again and he gave me the tour, he gave me the offer again. He says, it's still open. We still want you here. To this day, I can walk down into a Ken's restaurant and there's still a few of the people that I know there. That's how long they have worked in these places. That's how good of a company that it was. This was a phenomenal, <clears throat> phenomenal company. But God told me no. 
so we didn't do it. You see, I could have taken the deal. Could have taken the deal. And on, the, on paper, it looked pretty good. And I'll tell you, I had a blast at that job. I loved that job because I could run around like a maniac and get paid for it. And I did. Boy, I was, I would, people came in for the show. They actually came into the restaurant to watch me run the ovens. I didn't know that until people came out. I said, people come in and they watch you. They've never seen anybody work like you do. They've never seen anybody move that fast. They would come in and they would do this. I loved working there. But you see, I could have taken the deal. But you don't take the deal. Don't ever sell out what God has for you. Whatever God has put you into, whatever God has blessed you with, whatever God has given you, whatever commands God has given you, don't ever take the deal and get rid of what you got. No matter how much the kids in school pressure you, don't take the deal. Because understand, when the devil comes and he presents the deal, he does not present it by himself. He sends a serpent. He sends someone who's going to be his mouthpiece. And they're going to come into your life and they're going to pass a deal off on you. Here, take this. But don't take it. It will look really good in the beginning. And just like Jeroboam, it looked really good in the beginning and it ended up wiping out his entire house. His son died. His other son died. The rest of his family died. This is the guy who married a princess, became a king, and lived in a palace. And he took a deal. Don't take a deal. Don't ever take a deal. Whatever God has for you, it is the best thing in the world. Don't become like a serpent and take a deal. And don't ever become a serpent and begin to speak these things. Don't ever be the mouthpiece for darkness. Don't ever put people down that are around you and speak the evil that is the kingdom of darkness. Speak the words that the Word of God says. Speak words that are encouraging. Speak words that are life. Speak these kind of words. Don't speak those evil words. Don't gossip. Don't cut people off. Be kind to them. Don't take the deal. Because every day, there's a serpent coming into your life. There's someone coming into your life who's going to try and speak things to you to get you to compromise what God said, to get you to change and to take something else. But God is looking for those who will stand up and say, I will not take it. I will stand and do what God said. David was one of those guys. Daniel was one of those guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were some of those guys. Joseph and Mary, they were some of those people. Paul became one of those persons. Peter became one of those persons. John the Apostle became one of those persons. How many other people can we go through in the Word of God and tell? They became the one who would not take the deal. They stayed with what God had given them. Don't take the deal. Don't compromise what the Word of God has said. No matter how much the enemy tells you, oh, but you're not going to have this. You're going to lose this. Don't fall for the deal. Continue to be faithful. Stay with it. <clears throat> Keep your eyes open. Because there are serpents trying to pull you in. Keep your eyes open. <clears throat> because there are people you need to be sent to.
<clears throat> there are people that you have words that just like Ahijah had words for Jeroboam <clears throat> and his wife. There are people that are coming to you that God will give you a word for. Would you all stand up with me? This morning is our <clears throat> communion Sunday. Our ushers are going to come and they're going to distribute the elements. Now, as you think about this, don't take the deal. When Jesus was in the wilderness and was being tempted, the devil was trying to get him to take the deal. But he didn't take it. When he was in the garden, he was getting shored up on what God wanted him to do so that he would not take the deal. He told his disciples, don't you know that even right now I could call for ten thousands of angels and they would come and deliver me? But he didn't take the deal. Don't take the deal. Stay with what God has told you to do. Thank you. Stay with it. Hang on to it. There's going to be opposition. You see, because there are serpents lurking around. And just like with Eve, Eve and Adam, they had something. The devil wanted it. And he got the serpent to utter his words. Adam and Eve took the deal. But they lost. They lost big. And they were kicked out of the garden. And the authority they had on the earth was lost. The devil picked it up. Don't take the deal. You don't know what you're giving up. Just like on that show, let's make a deal. You got something in your hand. You want to trade that for what's behind curtain number one. And the people in the audience are all shouting, take the deal. Don't take the deal. If God has blessed you with something, if God has given you something, don't take the deal. Stay with what God has said. Believe what God has told you to do. Don't let it go. On the night that Jesus was betrayed before supper, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the body of Jesus was put all of our sickness, all of our disease, that we would not have to bear them anymore. As we eat together, let's remember what the body of Jesus does for us. Don't lose sight of that. Hang on to it. Let's eat together. After supper, as we always mention for you, there's a whole meal in between because there is a separate operation for each. There is the body, there is the blood. The blood of Jesus is what was offered on the altar in heaven to redeem us, that we would be forgiven of our sins and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Don't forget what he did. Don't try and add to it. Don't take a deal. Stay with what he said. Let's drink together and remember. Glory to God. Father, we thank you.
that Jesus <clears throat> did not take the deal. He stayed with the plan. And he hung on to the end. I thank you that he did. Because the first Adam took the deal. But the second Adam held on to the promise. Thank you that we don't have to take the deal. And we can be made aware of what the serpent, what the devil is trying to do through people that are around us. I thank you, Father. That we are not unwise, but we are wise. And we can see the things that the enemy has put around to trip us up. Give you the glory and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.